In the name of God, most merciful, ever merciful, and may God's peace and blessings be upon his holy prophet Muhammad and the purified members of his household and progeny. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad wa ali Muhammad wa ajil farajahum. Brothers, sisters, respected viewers, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And thank you for joining us once again in our series, Life, the Islamic Answer. As you will remember, we are going through the ingredients that we find in our Islamic tradition for knowledge seeking and being an effective and productive and efficient knowledge seeker. So let's go through the ingredients that we have covered until now and uh, we build on what we have said uh, inshallah today uh, where we will uh, you know inshallah we have the time to begin this uh, topic there are some of these ingredients we're calling them ingredients they are presented in some of the books and uh, the literature as being the manners of learning uh, uh, and so you will see that there's definitely an overlap uh, and the, the appropriate term uh, is perhaps uh, an ambiguous one or, or open for discussion so we're simply calling all of these ingredients uh, and inshallah we'll build on what we have said so far so the first ingredient we had covered is the importance of uh, dedication and we said this means that in our religion there are a number of traditions and we will keep seeing that theme uh, come up here and there the theme of tafarrugh that if you are a seeker of knowledge that this requires dedication which means that you actually have to intend you have to plan you have to have the will to dedicate time and dedicate focus and energy in order to acquire the knowledge that you are trying to acquire it's not going to happen on its own it requires focus it requires time it requires an energy that you dedicate to this that you choose willingly to put here instead of putting somewhere else okay and if you remember very quickly uh, we talked when we spoke about dedication we talked for instance about uh, this phenomenon that has been highlighted by a number of uh, thinkers and uh, people looking at today's society uh, where they talk for instance about the death of expertise uh, where everyone is an expert in everything no one is an expert in nothing we still have specialists and we still have experts uh, but perhaps they are not given uh, the same social position that they used to be given uh, because of the ease and access to uh, information that we have today with all of the detrimental effects that this, this can have while at the same time there are huge benefits to this of course this is called the democratization of knowledge in society and that's a, a whole topic on its own but this is all to really highlight the point that uh, if you want to seek knowledge then you need to dedicate yourself to it it's not going to happen on its own and this would lead to if you actually do this it's going to lead to becoming an expert gaining expertise in a given field of uh, knowledge and here we spoke about the importance of prioritization and we're coming back to this inshallah and this by by prioritization we mean two things the first one is where do you prioritize or how do you prioritize knowledge in your life in general okay what does it represent and we saw that you know you could spend you know all of your time on knowledge and still you know never reach the end because there is no end to knowledge and so you have to see how does this fit into your life where you are in your life today what does your day look like what does your week look like what are your responsibilities and where can you insert knowledge seeking in there um, and then within knowledge itself and that topic we haven't really spoken about inshallah it's going to be one of the ones we discuss uh, in a little bit more detail and we're going to see some of the narrations around this uh, is that you uh, willingly and intentionally prioritize which types of knowledge you are going to focus on and focus on first which types of knowledge you're going to acquire before others right not all knowledge is equal Okay, so inshallah, we're going to uh, come back to this point for sure. But there is a, uh, an importance to prioritizing and balancing uh, the knowledge seeking. Um, and of course, all of this is very directly related to a running theme. And I have insisted on this because I've had multiple requests to talk about this. So it's running across in the series. 
uh, in this topic of the series, which is time management, the importance of managing our time and managing our time in the most effective, productive way. And so, of course, in order to dedicate time, in order to dedicate energy to knowledge seeking, you have to manage your time appropriately. Okay, so that's one link there. The second ingredient we spoke about, so this is just a quick summary of all of them. The second ingredient we had spoken about is this notion referred to often as deraya. Okay, so a deeper understanding. It's not sufficient for us to be content with understanding something superficially. You have to have a will, you have to have a desire to go further in your understanding, to really understand uh, what you are uh, gaining in terms of knowledge, what you're reading, what you're hearing. Don't be happy, don't be satisfied with the first layer of understanding that you're getting. Okay, and inshallah, later we're going to see a number of traditions that actually say that you have to have a critical eye. You have to approach knowledge from a critical perspective. You can't just take things for granted because they are labeled or packaged uh, as being knowledge. Okay, you have to approach them with a critical eye. But it goes beyond that. Oftentimes, and we said, uh, knowledge has many facets, many dimensions. It can go very deep, uh, and it could be easily an area where someone spends their entire life if they wanted to, and that's just how far and deep knowledge can go in any specific area. So for us to kind of consider ourselves uh, knowledgeable in a field just because we have heard a little bit about it or read a few pages or read a book or, or so on and so forth uh, would not do justice to that field. And perhaps more importantly, it's not necessarily going to be obvious how all of this applies to our lives. How am I going to use this knowledge that I'm gaining, that I'm hearing about? What does it mean for me? And so this requires a deeper reflection. And this can happen on our own, individually, you sit and think about what you just learned. What does it mean? What do I do with this? Okay, do I take it as is? Do I have to adapt it, customize it, change it for my reality? Is it useful and relevant? Do I need more of it? And so on and so forth. And uh, perhaps to take it to the next level, you need to have these discussions with other people too, especially if those are people who are sharing your concerns, they're sharing your reality. And so this is where that deeper understanding is often going to be made. They're going to bring a different perspective, different issues, different questions that you may not have thought about until now. All of this is going to emerge as a result of uh, those forced discussions that uh, you can have. And so this daraya, of course, is linked to the notion that this is going to require some serious study on your part. It means that you're not going to be happy just for having heard, you know, listened to a lecture. That's not enough. You need to take it a step further. Really take it to, you know, as we would call academically today, to study it as though you were preparing to, you know, repeat this and go into an exam, let's say, or make a presentation uh, uh, about it. Okay, are you ready to, to do that? Have you uh, digested the content enough that it, you can call it your own? This is what we mean by daraya. Okay, that it has now slowly starting to become part of you and your thinking and your worldview, not just notions and words and terms that you learn by heart and memorize and can repeat, right? So it becomes part of uh, who you are. And we said that this is perhaps one of the uh, areas uh, when we combine it to the next ingredient, which is the serious study. And we saw the hadith from Imam Ali salam, Imam Sadiq and others, where they say, you know, you have to sit and you have to think and you have to memorize and and really in the in the very academic sense of studying, right? As we would have today uh, when they, they talk, for instance, about thinking, memorizing, discussing what you learned, solving the, the issues that arise and then doing review on your own and doing review with others. All of this is mentioned in the narrations for someone who wants to become an effective uh, learner. And this is where we said, of course, in relation to the previous point, that this is perhaps something that oftentimes we do not see enough of in our communities. This is something that we lack. We see a lot of uh, superficial understanding. We see a lot of uh, kind of a first layer understanding of uh, a lot of things. A lot of people know uh, a little bit about a lot of things, but they don't know a lot about many of the things that they need to know uh, a lot more about. Uh, and so this is where uh, you see a definite encouragement from uh, our tradition uh, in this regard. The next topic, and this was a, a big one as well, uh, this notion of what we translated as direct apprenticeship. 
the notion that you have to have access to someone that you consider to be uh, very reliable and trustworthy for the type of knowledge that you are seeking. That you will not only rely on uh, theoretical uh, sources or content, uh, for instance, books or lectures, all of that is just one way. It's things that are coming into your mind. Uh, you need a source that will give you an opportunity to engage in knowledge in a two-way manner so that you can also ask questions. You can ask for clarifications. You can validate what you think you have understood, what you have learned. You have to go back to someone. And so there are multiple ways of doing this, but it needs to happen. Don't simply rely on the fact that the knowledge has come in to consider yourself knowledgeable in that area, okay? Who knows how you interpret it, how the knowledge came in? Who knows what you missed? Who knows what you misunderstood, okay? And so the the risk here, the, the danger here, grows a lot more when you're relying on a source like, for instance, a book, right? Because the content is very static. There is absolutely no human dimension to this except, you know, the style, the writing style, and uh, whatever else you find in writing, whatever else you find in a book. Okay, if you take it to the next level, at least in when you, you're listening to a lecture, for instance, a scholar, someone who's an expert in the field, at least you might get a little bit of the, uh, the mood, the tone, the body language, all of that is going to add to the communication and hopefully help a little bit more uh, than if you were just reading a static uh, content on a page. And of course, anyone who knows me would know that I'm not telling anyone not to read. I'm just saying that there's a very big difference between receiving information from a book, from a very static source, and receiving it from someone who is an expert who has spent a lot of time specializing in that field. Okay, you will get things that you cannot get from a book or that will take much longer to get from a book when you're receiving it from a human being. But even that is usually not enough to get to what we're talking about, this direct apprenticeship. This this is going to allow you to have the the two-way communication about knowledge. Can you ask this person questions? Can you seek clarification? Can you validate that you actually understood as you are meant to understood? You understood as the message was meant to go through, or is there distortion in your understanding? Okay, and so there are multiple ways as we said this, but the ideal way is that you have direct access to the scholar yourself. But this can be done also in groups, for instance, and this is what they call mubahatha, uh, for instance, in uh, in the seminary, in the hawzat, and elsewhere, where the students get together and they validate each other's understanding of what was presented and what was taught. Okay, and so of course here we added another component to this, and we said beyond the knowledge itself, beyond the information itself you also get another dimension. And this is when, especially, we are talking about religious knowledge. So specifically about religious knowledge, what you want to see is not just raw information that a human being carries. What you want to see is, what does it mean for someone to be more religious, closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, as a result of that knowledge? That's what you're trying to get from the knowledge and the person who carries that knowledge. You want to see what does it mean to see this knowledge personified in a human being? What does it look like? So that you now have a role model that you could, if you want to, you take the good and you leave the bad. You, we do that with everyone and everything. But regardless, and we're going to talk about the importance of the teacher and Islam, inshallah, as one of the main ingredients. Perhaps we'll finish this whole section with that. Okay? And we will see that whether we like it or not, you are going to be influenced and influenced to a very large degree by the person that you are acquiring knowledge from. In fact, according to the verses of the Quran and, and, and the traditions and the narrations, this person that is giving you knowledge, they are referred to as someone that you are worshipping. When you are listening to someone, especially if they are in a position of teaching, so you have to be very careful. What are you letting in? Who are you choosing for this task? Okay? And so the corollary to that is that once you have chosen this person, if they are the right person, then don't also be aware and don't forget that this person is now also becoming a role model in their conduct. They're becoming a role model in their behavior, in their lifestyle, and how they carry themselves because of that knowledge. Okay? And so it's... If you're not aware of this, you, one, may miss out on opportunities, 
but two, alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. Um, so you may miss out on opportunities uh, and you will not be able to fully benefit from this. And two, this may be happening to you without you realizing. You may not realize just how much of an impact this person is having. If it's positive, great, but also negative. You want to have your guards up. You want to make sure that whatever you're letting in and whatever you're letting influence you is actually positive and beneficial to you. And the rest you look at with, as we said, a critical eye and make sure that you filter it out. But you have to have that awareness of the importance of this person in your life. The next ingredient we spoke about, and again, this one we spent a, a good amount of time on, is the notion of or the importance of seeking the truth and accepting the truth. And so we said here, we there, there are two uh, dimensions to the same image that we constantly found in the narrations, that the person who is a true believer, they consider the knowledge as that thing which they are constantly seeking, as though it is a precious animal that has run away from them. And you have to bring yourself back to, you know, centuries ago when that animal meant, you know, your actual survival, your daily, day in, day out survival in this world. Not having an animal means you are, you know, cut off from daily life as you're supposed to live it. Okay, so this is the balla that we spoke about. And as, a, as someone who is a believer, as someone who carries belief, a true Muslim, has to consider the truth and has to consider knowledge to be their the thing which they are constantly seeking, that they feel, as we saw in the narrations, Imam Ali salam and the Holy Prophet and other Imams, they said that knowledge, it's, it is as though it has a right over the believer. The believer has to be the one who carries it. And wherever you find it, you have to go seek it and feel like you are more worthy of carrying it than anyone else. There's a, a, a right that it has over you. You have to feel that responsibility. You should not be happy or satisfied with the fact that someone else is carrying that knowledge. You are the one who is supposed to carry that knowledge. So you have to constantly be in a state of seeking that knowledge and accepting that knowledge wherever it may come from, which requires humility and modesty on your part. You don't reject the knowledge because of the source of knowledge. We realize, we understand that the source is going to, as we just said, have an impact but we don't reject the truth just because the source is bad. We still take it. And that's why Imam Ali salam would give these examples. And we saw multiple cases where they say, for instance, that go and seek it even if it is from the hypocrite. Go and seek it even if it's from the pagan. Go and see. They're basically saying go and seek the knowledge wherever you can find it. And don't use as an excuse that the person who is giving that knowledge is not a believer, is not of my worldview. They don't have the same beliefs as I do. That's uh, not an acceptable answer to uh, or an excuse or a pretext for not accepting that knowledge. Knowledge is knowledge. Truth is truth. And we saw the verses of the Quran that spoke about this, the narrations that spoke about this. So uh, the idea here is that as a believer, as a good Muslim, you have to constantly be uh, in, a in, a, in a situation where you're examining yourself, making sure that you don't fall prey to being subjective, to being biased and rejecting truth just because it is not coming from the most desirable source for you. Okay, this also means that you stay objective even if it means it's going against you, if it's going against the outcome that you would like, all of that falls in the same category. We are seekers of the truth. Okay, so, um, and we saw all of this, and we also spoke here, the, the corollary to this, when we spoke about the, the, the traditions uh, or the narrations that, emphasize the importance of seeking and accepting the truth, we said do not forget that, especially in today's world, especially for a Muslim living in a minority uh, situation where you have access to all of these experts and specialists and gurus, that all of this is affecting you, whether you like it or not, as we just said. Okay, As soon as you are in a situation of receiving content from someone, this is going to affect you, consciously or unconsciously. So does it mean that we reject it, as we said? No, of course not. This goes against the teachings of our religion. But it does mean that we have to equip ourselves. 
You don't just jump into something when you know that this has the potential of uh, deeply affecting you, how you are, how you think, what your values are, what your worldview is. You don't just jump into something like this without preparing yourself in advance and knowing that this is going to have a very deep impact on who you are and how you think. So equipping yourself means what? Means we go back to the basics in our religion. And we said from the beginning, you have to have at least a fundamental, a basic understanding of the Holy Qur'an. You have to have an understanding of the main teachings of Ahlul Bayt, especially for us as their followers. And we have said and we emphasize this again and again. We have thousands upon thousands of narrations, and this is exactly what we're trying to do in this series, to show a glimpse of the teachings of Ahlul Bayt on all sorts of topics that directly affect our daily lives, things that we encounter, things we need answers to. In a lot of cases, what we find is we don't even have a clue of what Ahlul Bayt have said about a certain topic. We may think we know, but we would not be able to even remember a hadith on the topic. Right, So at least what we're trying to do is to give a glimpse of the teachings of Ahlul Bayt. These do not necessarily become things that we can apply as is, but they become general guiding principles in life. That when we put these together, we know what Ahlul Bayt have given us in terms of the spirit of our religion about each one of these topics and many, many more. At least when you have that general background, that general information, then when you go and expose yourself to a guru and a specialist and an expert and they present all sorts of information, you are able to quickly decipher and say, yeah, this matches the general lines and guidelines that Ahlul Bayt have given us or it does not and my flags go up and I need to stop or go seek clarification or simply reject this because this does not align with my worldview and what I consider to be the general grid and principles by which I accept the truth. Okay, so inshallah, all of this is clear. The next uh, ingredients we spoke about, we spoke about the importance of humility. And this is in fact, uh, it goes much further. We use humility as one of the main examples because we have multiple narrations from Ahlul Bayt that no matter how they are said, they come back to say, do not become Jabbarin uh, or Jababira, because you are now carrying knowledge, because you are people that people refer to as scholars, as seekers of knowledge, do not suddenly become tyrants, don't become arrogant. Okay, so this is the main trait we are trying to avoid. This is the, the trait that you have to stay away from. So this insistence from Ahlul Bayt on this trait specifically, and there are others mentioned, but the insistence on this trait specifically tells us that human beings in general, human nature in general, is at greater risk, has a greater tendency to become arrogant as a result of carrying knowledge. Okay, that's, that's the conclusion that we must derive from the insistence of Ahlul Bayt on this. So many other things may come, may arise, negative things may arise out of carrying knowledge, as, uh, of becoming a uh, knowledgeable person, a scholar. But one of the most important ones is arrogance. And so we see an insistence on avoiding arrogance at all costs. And we saw when we spoke about humility in general, this tawadu, this uh, modesty that we're supposed to have because we carry knowledge, alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. Okay, anyone in that situation, alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. Anyone in that situation, we saw that it goes in both ways. You are for the sake of knowledge because you're in a constant, because you're in a climate or an environment of knowledge seeking, you have to be humble and you have to be modest for the sake of the knowledge, for the sacredness, the holiness of the knowledge itself, whether you are the one giving the knowledge or you are the one receiving the knowledge. This goes both ways. The teacher and the student have to be humble towards each other because they are interacting with knowledge. Okay, so inshallah, we're going to come back to this later a little bit more specifically when we talk about uh, the learner and we, when we talk about the teacher, we're going to find very uh, more specific instructions that apply to each. But this is the general instruction. You are both in a condition, you are in a state where knowledge is being shared. Therefore, rule number one, be humble, be modest, and uh, do not let things go to arrogance.
no matter what is happening. Be forgiving, be modest, be humble, be flexible, and so on and so forth. The next ingredient we spoke about was, and this one we are certainly coming back to it, we spoke about it from one angle, and that is the importance of asking. Okay, and perhaps we said the reason why this is mentioned is that it takes effort, it takes initiative, and it also takes humility to be the one who asks. But from the narrations themselves, we saw that they highlight that the benefits, once the question is asked, the benefits are going to go way beyond the person asking. Yes, the person asking is going to receive if, you know, that's a condition uh, and they are in, in a condition or in a state where they will receive the answer, at least they will receive the answer. That person will clearly benefit. But the person giving the answer benefits and the person listening to them benefits. And the listen, the person who loves these people, as we saw in the narrations, the person who loves the, per the people asking questions and giving answers is also going to be rewarded. And this is bringing us back to the notion of community where we said that it is by your intentions that you belong to a community or not. And we saw, of course, inshallah, we're going to park this now, we're going to come back to it and put all of the narrations that spoke about community together so that we reach conclusions. We take out conclusions of what does that community look like at the end. But here we have a very clear picture that asking the person who has the initiative to ask is the person who is beginning the cycle of eventually creating a community of knowledge, a community of people who are gathered around knowledge seeking and knowledge sharing. Okay, so that I think inshallah is clear as well. The importance, again, from different angles of patience and perseverance. So maybe very quickly what's left, and inshallah what we're going to come back to, we're going to talk about asking from a different angle. So what we focused on until now is the importance of asking, that initiative that someone has to proactively ask a question, seek clarification, okay? But how do we ask the question? The details around asking. Is it good to constantly ask questions? Uh, or is there a limit? Do we ask about anything and everything? Or do we focus our questions? Is there a way that the question should be asked? All of that is addressed in a number, a large number of narrations. Inshallah, we're going to see some of them. So the how of it, the details of it, which this is what's referred to in many books as the manners. Uh, of learning or the manners of asking uh, this is what we're going to talk about inshallah uh, as a next uh, ingredient so patience perseverance and uh, other such traits were also mentioned that you have to be willing to sacrifice including you know sacrificing your what we can call your dignity right you have to be someone who is willing to be in a situation where you feel inferior because you are sitting as a student learning from someone else this takes even more uh, humility this takes even more modesty but this is a person who learns and this is a person who can do something about the knowledge they carry and we saw the example the ideal example the great example of this mentioned in the Holy Quran, Prophet Musa السلام, how he goes to seek that knowledge from someone who by all accounts is of a lower rank than he is. This is one of God's greatest prophets. This is perhaps the greatest human being on earth at that time. And he knows that there's someone else who carries knowledge that he does not have. So he goes to seek that knowledge. And as we saw, and inshallah, perhaps one day we can go through the verses more uh, slowly and, and word by word but that person that Musa السلام, is going out of his way to learn from he told him no you can't follow me just as simple as that when he told him can I follow you so that I may learn from what you know good judgment and wisdom you have received he told him no I don't think you have the patience required to be with me and so Musa السلام, did not just say okay that's enough I'm, I'm what is this? This goes against my dignity. Uh, I, I should not be hearing something like this. Does this person know, not know who I am? He didn't say any of that. He actually insisted more. He told him, I commit. I am committing to you that I will do my best and I will be patiently bearing the knowledge and the circumstances that you're going to be putting me through just so that I can learn. Okay, so the man accepted, finally. And he told him, okay, you may follow me, but don't ask me things until I tell you about their explanations. Right? And this was Al-Khidr, alayhi salam. So what does that story tell us? 
Are we willing to go that far? Do we take our dignity too seriously so it becomes arrogant and then we don't have the modesty and the humility to be in a position of becoming a true learner, right? And this is one example. We have you know hundreds or thousands of these, but this one is mentioned very explicitly in the, in the Holy Quran in this way, okay? So this is what we meant by this patience and perseverance and we linked it with two other traits that were mentioned in the narrations, we put them together because they are mentioned together in some narrations. One of them was flattery, okay, al-malaq, and the other one was envy. And Imam Ali alayhi salam, the Holy Prophet, we saw narrations that basically say these two traits are undesirable. To be someone who gives excessive flattery, you compliment people, you praise people excessively, that's not a desirable trait. Okay, We are truthful, we say things as they are. Someone who is deserving of praise, we praise them. But you don't exaggerate in that praise. Uh, you, don't, you don't say things that are not there. You don't you know, blow up that praise more than you need to. This is not a good trait to have as a believer. And envy. You're not supposed to be envious. You're not supposed to be focused on. Your energy should not be directed towards anything that is outside of you and your relationship with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Focus on yourself. Focus on what you can do, what you can improve, what you need to focus on. You don't look at others, what they have, what they don't have. That's supposed to be as you mature as a believer. Okay? But at the same time, we saw the hadith from Imam Ali, from the Holy Prophet saying, these are two undesirable traits in a believer, except when it comes to knowledge. Knowledge is of such importance that those two traits now suddenly become secondary. There's a lot more flexibility in those two traits. If you need to give excessive flattery and praise and compliment in order to get that knowledge, do it. It's not an issue because you're seeking knowledge. If you become envious of someone who has a lot more knowledge than you, then that's good. That's a noble competition. This is not know the, the negative envy which you wish and hope that this person loses what they have. No, no, you don't worry about what they have. What you're worried about is why don't I have what they have? Why don't I work harder? Why don't I sacrifice to achieve what they've achieved and maybe even surpass them? And we saw that the Holy Quran talks about this noble competition, right? Those who want to compete, let them compete in this stuff. The things that will get you the higher ranks in the afterlife. This is where the noble competition happens. So this is what's meant by the envy and what's meant by the flattery, right? Even if you have to praise and you have to compliment, then do it if it means that you're going to acquire more knowledge. Okay? And we spoke about the psychology or the socio-psychology of this. So you can go back to the episode so that we don't uh, uh, repeat too much what we have said. But we said there might be very good reasons why... There are people who would really uh, uh, become a different type of sharer of knowledge, of teacher of knowledge, because of the uh, praise that they're receiving, because of the compliments, because of the flattery that they're receiving. Okay, And therefore, corollary for us to try to avoid this. Now that I am aware that this is a tendency of someone who carries knowledge, that they need to be recognized and they need that social recognition and that social praise, that I try to avoid it. I work on myself so that this does not become one of my pitfalls. Okay, so, but it doesn't mean that I won't use it myself to acquire the knowledge that I need from someone else. Okay, so inshallah, all of these points are clear. The next ingredient was the importance of writing. And we saw a number of narrations that spoke about the importance of writing. So on the one side, clearly, the imams are very clear that true learning is not taking place if you are not writing. Okay? And we saw from the Holy Prophet ﷺ, we saw the story of the companion who came to him asking uh, the Holy Prophet to repeat the, the knowledge and the wisdom that he was sharing with the other companions. And the Holy Prophet told him, well, do you have anything to write with? He told him, no. Told him, well, when you get it, I'll tell you. Otherwise, this is just going to evaporate. You're not going to learn this. Okay? And this is one example. But So on one side, we saw the importance in the narrations that once you write, it's going to anchor, solidify, firm up the knowledge that you have for yourself. But we also saw the narrations that, especially from Imam Sadiq salam, but others as well, that basically said, this is how we're going to preserve knowledge for the next generations and pass it down to the next generations 
and we saw the narrations that speak to people and encourage them when they are in a younger age to tell them they are going to grow and the people who are here will be gone. And what will remain in all of this is the written knowledge. And how Imam Sadiq says, preserve your books, you're going to need them. There will be a time of chaos where nothing will bring serenity and calm and rest to people's hearts except that the books that they have. And certainly we can say that in today's world this applies to us, that we are in a state where the only true knowledge is to be found somewhere in our books, partially, right? And so we need to go and dig in those books and try to reach that knowledge. Otherwise we don't have access to our imams. So unless there were people who would have preserved that knowledge to us, through to us, through their sacrifice and through their hard work and through their writing, then this knowledge would have never made it. And we know anyone who studies you know, Islamic history knows how much we've lost uh, as the centuries have gone by. And this is what's left, right? We have lost the majority of the knowledge that we used to have, the written part. And the written part is just a fraction of the teachings of Ahl al-Bayt. The rest is lost forever. If people did not write, then they did not write. Things end there. Okay, so that was the importance of uh, uh, the, the writing as uh, an ingredient for effective knowledge seeking. Then we spoke about, uh, we came back to a theme which is rising early and seeking knowledge early in the day. Okay, and we linked it to time management and we spoke about that. And inshallah, we'll come back to that today as well to wrap up that topic. There were a couple more questions about it, so I want to wrap it up. Uh, but we saw the ahadith that are very clear from the Holy Prophet and from the Imams that basically say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blesses those who seek knowledge early in the day. But that means that you have to organize your life and you have to organize your day in a way that allows you to seek, to prioritize your knowledge seeking and to do it early in the day. And this is where, why we spoke about perhaps looking at a way to make our daily schedule an Islamic daily schedule. Build the times of your day and the activities of your day, for instance, around the prayer times. You know that you have a time to pray when you wake up, and you have a time to pray before you sleep, and there's a prayer in between. And so this becomes a way for you to prioritize prayers in your life, and also follow or try to get closer to an Islamic way of living, so that by prioritizing prayer in your life and building the activities around it, you force yourself to do a lot of other activities that have to fall in place. You can't sleep at any time if you want to wake up for prayer. If you sleep too late, you won't be able to wake up. If you eat too much, too heavy at night, you won't be able to wake up, right? Or you won't feel good. Or if you wake up, you'll just pray and want to go back to sleep. You won't be able to do these types of activities. So you have to organize your time. You have to organize your schedule. You have to rethink your day by looking at what are your priorities and what does prayer fit into all of this. Do you prioritize prayer at all? Do you really take a break and you say, this is a time for a prayer. I'm going to disconnect and focus on this or not. Can you do that in some way that is meaningful to you? And you can build your schedule around that. Alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah. We also spoke interestingly about, since we talked about time management and we're getting very practical in the, in the traditions here, in the narrations, we also spoke about the link that the narrations have made between knowledge and wisdom on one side and the empty stomach. Okay, The importance of managing your food intake. And we saw the narrations and how they say Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has hidden five things in five. And one of them was knowledge or wisdom in two different narrations. And inshallah today we'll continue with that. Has been hidden in an empty stomach. People think that they will, in the narration, people think that they will achieve knowledge or wisdom on a full stomach. No, they will achieve it on an empty stomach. And we saw there's discipline around this. There is an encouragement that these are the things that matter. The only point that we did not talk about related to this, but inshallah that it is clear, what we said is that we're not telling anyone that Islam wants us to be uh, living miserable lives of poverty. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is, do not let the things that are not your priorities distract you. We are not in this world to eat 
And we're not in this world to sleep. And we're not in this world for just living a luxurious life. These things are means to something more important. Eat, but so that you can become a better person. Sleep, so that you become a better person. And don't let that thing in itself, like sleep or eat, food, become the priority itself. You don't eat to eat. You don't eat for the sake of food. You don't sleep for the sake of sleeping. You sleep because it's going to make you stronger and better and healthier so that you can undertake the activities of the next day, right? But on the other side, it's the, this is where you have to balance between the too much and the too little. Usually the problem, so we focus on it, in Islam, this is, you see the verses of the Quran, the narrations, they always focus on the human tendency. The human tendency is not to eat too little. So the Holy Quran, the narrations are not going to come and tell people, don't eat too little, it's not good to eat too little. If people do that, then you will see narrations that will start giving instructions, telling people, don't eat too little, it's not good. And this happened when people go too far and misunderstand the point of these teachings. But the normal tendency in the majority of cases is people do eat too much. So the reason we're saying this, it's not better to eat too little. Right? The point here is that these things do not become distractions or disablers. Something that does not allow you to do what you're trying to do. So eating too much is definitely a distraction. It's definitely something that will impede your ability to learn, your ability to acquire knowledge and reach wisdom. Eating too little can be as well. So if eating too little becomes a distraction and you can't even focus on your work, then again, this is something to be avoided. This has now become, the hunger has now become your impediment and your barrier and it needs to be avoided. The point here is that you're prioritizing the right thing. And this, this is why we talked about this, we commented on this, and we said the point, the purpose of our existence, of our lives, is not just to accumulate comforts and luxuries wherever we can, however we can. Yes, make your life as comfortable as you need to make it so that you become as productive as you need to become. And you can achieve the goals that you're trying to achieve and if you start going too far in any of those comforts, then those comforts themselves become distractions. They will distract you from the things that really matter to you. And you know that those things are the things that really matter to you. But you're going too far. You're sleeping too much, you're eating too much, you're spending too much time playing, you're whatever it may be. Okay, All of those things are okay in moderation. And we're going to see a lot more narrations that speak about this theme, but this is what we covered until now. And the last one was youth. So inshallah, this is also very quickly one of the ingredients that we want to finish off today. The importance of seizing the opportunity of youth, of being of a younger age. And we saw there are a number of different advantages that come from being exposed to knowledge earlier in our lives. First of all, you have a lot more ability or capacity to memorize and learn things. So just as, as, when we look at the development of a normal human being, you have much more capacity to learn things at a younger age. That's one. Two, you have a lot more energy, and therefore you are able to focus a lot more and be dedicated a lot more because all of these other distractions are not there sapping your energy your family and your career and your social duties and so on and so forth, which will only accumulate and get more and more complex as life goes on, right? And then learning earlier means that you have a lot more opportunity to go deeper in the knowledge that you learned. If you look at two people who, I don't know, let's say they are 30 now, and someone started when they were 10 learning a field and the other started learning it when they were 25, the person who was 10 when they started learning that field has had 20 years to deepen that knowledge. It doesn't mean that they actually did, but at least the opportunity was there, as opposed to only five years that the other person had. Okay, So the sooner you start, then of course the more opportunity you have to go much deeper in that knowledge. This does not mean, however, and we spent time, and inshallah that point is clear, this does not mean, however, that this is an excuse for anyone to use age as a pretext not to learn. 
Okay, so while we have many narrations like the ones we saw from the Holy Prophet and Imam Ali salam and others saying that you have to learn as early as possible. Imam al-Hasan when he gathers the children of his house and the house of his brother and he tells them you have to learn and we're going to see a few more ahadith today. This encouragement in our religion to learn younger is not an excuse therefore for someone to say, well now I'm too old. You know, I've I missed the boat. It's too late for me. This this is unacceptable in our religion. First of all, as a good Muslim, and we spoke about this when we began this series, and we're coming back to it later, inshallah, but a good Muslim never stops learning. This has to be part and parcel of your normal, regular life as a Muslim. The only difference between one Muslim and another is going to be how much do I learn? But there is no age at which you say, I've learned enough. I've learned everything that I have to learn. And we saw that. We saw the hadith that basically say a good Muslim is going to have a time in the day and a day in the week. If you remember, they will dedicate a day in the week where they will seek knowledge and they will dedicate themselves to knowledge. That's, so this gives you a proportion. One out of seven of your time should at least as a minimum, as a good Muslim, be dedicated to knowledge seeking. So find the fields that are relevant to you and go learn them. And this has nothing to do with what age you're at. And we saw that this is also perhaps something that we have to rethink in our communities. And inshallah, we'll come back more at the end of the series to talk about this as community building and knowledge communities. Where do children fit into all of this? Unfortunately, we have a tendency to say as soon as there is any sort of educational program, development program, we say this is for the youth, this is for the children, this is for the youth, this is for the children. When what we really know about our religion is that the content and the information and the knowledge of our religion is not meant for the children. This is meant for people, mature people who have entered into this religion fully. There is an advantage to learning it when you're younger. But that's very different from saying this type of knowledge is for children. Learning the Holy Quran is not for children. Learning fiqh is not for children. Learning seerah is not for children. We have to simplify this and present it to the children so that they understand the parts that are relevant to them. But this type of knowledge is not for children. Right? And so if we had a mentality where this is an ongoing process of learning for everyone and not for youth and children and those who are younger in the community, perhaps we wouldn't need to insist so much, as we said, on all these programs that are for children. Because the children would grow up in households and grow up with adults who are constantly, alaykum assalam wa rahmatullah, they are constantly exemplifying, personifying the religious teachings themselves. Because they are educated enough and knowledgeable enough and they have the conduct and the behavior and they can answer enough questions. And so what the child grows up with, by default, is going to be the Islamic environment that he is meant to see from the important adults in their lives. This is a very different thinking than I'm going to bring my child somewhere and they will learn for 30 or 45 minutes or 60 minutes a week. And I think that this is going to protect the child and make them resilient and make them ready to face, you know, everything that they will face in the world. Okay? So, knowledge seeking in Islam, as encouraged as it is to start as early as possible, let us not use that as a pretext to think that knowledge seeking is for the youth or for children or that we have to emphasize the children in, in any way, shape or form. Yes, there might be context and circumstances that require specialized focus and highlight and intensive programs to prepare them for specific issues. That's all plausible and no issue with that. We're talking about the normal foundations in our religion. The normal foundations is that knowledge seeking is part of every good Muslim's outlook in life. Okay, so we talked about uh, all of this. So um, the next hadith that we wanted to cover, so this kind of is the quick summary of all the ingredients and everything and all the important points that we've covered until now so that we don't repeat this part as we move on. We have a few more ingredients to cover. And so the first hadith we wanted to look at, um, uh, seizing the opportunity and the youth, 
that ingredient from the Holy Prophet sallallahu uh, He says, Maybe I, there's one more hadith I skipped. Um, yeah, how about we, we go to this hadith? So I've spoken in the past about the hadith of Anwan al-Basri. Okay, you remember this very old man in the narrations. He was 94 years old. He heard that Imam Sadiq alayhi salam had come to Medina. So he wanted to go and visit him and learn from him. And so finally the Imam allows him to meet him. It's a long hadith. And there is issues about the authenticity of the hadith. But there are some very uh, useful parts in uh, hadith Anwan al-Basri. And so at some point after the Imam gives him his initial advice... He tells the Imam, give me advice. Oh, Aba Abdullah, give me advice. So Imam Sadiq alayhi salam says, قلت يا أبا عبد الله أوصني فقال أوصيك بتسعة أشياء فإنها وصيتي لمريدي الطريق إلى الله عز وجل. These are the nine things that I advise you to follow. And this is the advice that I give to those who want to follow on the path towards Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. والله أسأل أن يوفقك لاستعماله and I ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give you, grant you the success to uh, follow in this path ثلاثة منها في رياضة النفس so the imam tells him I'm going to give you nine pieces of advice three of them are about رياضة النفس which we can loosely translate as self-discipline okay the second one وثلاثة منها في الحلم so your, your etiquette and manners and وثلاثة منها في العلم and three of them have to do with knowledge فاحفظها وإياك والتهاون بها learn it and never underestimate or uh, take these uh, pieces of advice lightly then he says so i prepared my heart and i emptied it so that i can learn these pieces of advice as for the ones that have to do with self-discipline the imam is talking about to a man who is here about knowledge seeking and getting closer to allah subhanahu wa ta'ala see what the imam told him he started with this. These are the three pieces. That's why we linked. We said the hadith say, uh, knowledge and wisdom are linked to on an empty stomach. Okay? فَإِيَّاكَ أَن تَأْكُلَ مَا لَا تَشْتَهِيهِ فَإِنَّهُ يُورِثُ الْحَمَاقَةَ وَالْبَلَحِ So I warn you, the imam tells him, beware from eating what you do not feel like eating. Okay? Never feel compelled to eat something you don't feel like eating. For it eventually leads to foolishness and stupidity, the imam says. It's a, it creates a weak mind. It, it creates someone who, in our words, we would say an idiot, right? The, this is the, literally what the word means. Hamaqa wal-balah, the imam says. Those who eat things they don't desire. You don't crave that food, don't eat it. That's one. Then the imam says, وَلَا تَأْكُلُ إِلَّا عِنْدَ الْجُوعِ And never eat unless you are really hungry. If you're not hungry, don't eat. Okay, that's two. So that's two pieces of advice that the imam is giving about knowledge seeking and on the way to God that have to do with food. What's the third one? وَإِذَا أَكَلْتَ فَكُلْ حَلَالًا وَسَمِّ اللَّهِ And if you eat, then only eat food that is halal and mention the name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the food that you are, eat, you are eating. And then he adds, so in case, you know, we didn't get the importance of food and how it relates to knowledge and wisdom the imam says wadhkur hadith ar-rasul sallallahu alayhi wa alihi and remember the saying of god's messenger ma mala'a adamiyun wi'a'an sharr min batnih a human being has never filled a container that is worse than his stomach but fa in kana labud but if this is a must and it is a must but if he must then fa thulthun li ta'amihi wa thulthun li sharabihi so if he must, and he must, therefore he has to eat, then let a third of that stomach filling be with food, and a third with water, and a third for air, the Holy Prophet says. Okay, this is an example of the narrations that, as we said, are clearly making a link between knowledge-seeking and purification of the soul and something as practical and trivial we would think as eating. Okay, so this is the first hadith. The second hadith, as we said, a few hadith that have to do with the topic of youth. Okay, so from Imam Ali alayhi salam, he says, Man sa'ala fi sigharih, ajaba fi kibarih. The one who asks questions in their youth is going to be the person who answers those questions when they are of an older age. Okay, and so 
The next hadith from Imam Ali alayhi salam, man sa'ala fi sighrihi ajaba fi kibarih, and he says, ta'allamu al-ilma sigharan tasudu bihi kibara. Acquire knowledge in your youth and you will become masters with it when you are mature, when you're in old age. Okay, this is the topic we were talking about earlier. This is a direct link to the whole topic of information societies, knowledge societies. How do you build a community or how do you build a society that has power and capital in today's world? Imam Ali is saying, you want to become masters when you are older? If you want to become masters, then learn in your youth. The more you learn in your youth, the more you will be the masters of tomorrow. Okay, this is a very important equation that the Imam is condensing in a few words. This is the entire topic that we spend a whole very condensed lecture on, which we call knowledge society or information societies, which is the latest society in today's world, or perhaps we're on the verge of a new revolution in societies, where the main capital is not money and it's not possessions. The main capital of the world today is information and knowledge, right? The Imam is saying, you want power, you want to be the master in the world, then you do that through knowledge and knowledge seeking earlier in life. Imam Ali alayhi salam says, Ya ma'shar al-fityan. So Imam is talking directly here to the youth. He's saying, Ya ma'shar al-fityan, hassinu a'radakum bil-adab, wadinakum bil-ilm. He says, O oh, young people, O oh, youth, protect your dignity. And so this is a very difficult world, word to translate. This أعراضكم basically it's symbol anything that symbolizes what your honor is what your dignity is okay he says حصنوا أعراضكم بالأدب protect and preserve your dignity and your honor with good manners okay this is very important this means that in order to protect your honor and dignity you can't be someone who is too flexible and too lenient and too easily sacrificing of your manners and the things that you know to be good manners. Okay, that's one. And two, وَدِينَكُمْ بِالْعِلْمِ And protect your religion, protect your faith. With what? With learning things by heart and memorizing things and just worshipping non-stop? No. And protect your religion with knowledge. You want to be people who have a true religion, a true faith that you can carry and that stays there strong and proud? then you need to protect it with knowledge. This is a very important piece, incredible piece of advice from Imam Ali alayhi salam. We don't have time to talk about it, prayers in five minutes. Okay, so here the Imam is talking about two things, the things that you consider to be your important values. You have to protect them with the things that are not necessarily always going to be dictated, but they are, these are all part of the adab the general adab, the general values, the general cultural things that are positive, that are beneficial, that are good. You need to use those to protect who you are, your dignity and your honor. And in the second part, to protect your faith and to protect your religion, you do that with what? What is the greatest protection of your faith and your religion? Imam Ali salam says, knowledge. Everything else is secondary to it. أيما ناشئ نشأ في طلب العلم والعبادة حتى يكبر أعطاه الله يوم القيامة الثواب اثنين وسبعين صديقة. If a youth grows in seeking knowledge and in worship until he reaches maturity, God will grant this person, this youth, on the day of judgment, the reward of seventy-two صديق. صديق are the people who have the highest level of sincere faith in the world. Okay, throughout history, they are mentioned in the Holy Quran who Siddiq are. This is a recognition from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and in our narrations that the person who spends the time in their youth, their energy and their time in seeking knowledge and in worshipping, they are committing a great sacrifice. But this is not lost. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sees that sacrifice and rewards that sacrifice more handsomely than anything else. Okay, so that you are young and you say, I will learn when I am older, that knowledge is not the same. And the blessing and the reward and the benefit is not the same. And in the afterlife, these two things are not equal. That you ended up learning the thing, 
but you ended up learning it. One person learned it by sacrificing your, their youth and learning it, and the other when they were older. These two are not equal. Okay, So the time you spend and the energy you spend and the sacrifice you put in when you are younger is going to go a very long way in who you are in this world and in the next, as opposed to even if you were to gain those things and learn those things later in life. Okay, inshallah, we continue with this topic the next time we meet. We're almost at prayer time, four more minutes. So let's stop here and we continue with the, with the ingredients of effective learning the next time we meet, inshallah. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi tayyibin al-tahirin.